0: We need to have a different understanding that encouragement is not just for the purpose of making someone feel warm and fuzzy inside. What we actually need as Christians to walk by faith and to stand firm in the faith is not just to have a hug or to have someone tell us we're pretty or to to give us just whatever it, it is that they think that we need for today. What we need is actually to be propelled forward by the promises of God that are true because they've proven true throughout time.
1: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 242. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and my guest this week is Lindsay Carlson. Uh, She speaks with me about the discouragement that, that we face and also the discouragement that the people that we speak to week after week, they're discouraged too guys, it's a discouraging world out there. And the false promises of the self-help industry aren't working. So the people who attend our women's Bible studies or college groups or Sunday morning assemblies, they need more than just a vague pep talk or pulpit platitudes. They and we need deep, rich, strong, true words that actually will impart courage and strength. In this episode, Lindsay speaks about how to handle God's word in such a way that offers true encouragement to God's people that won't let us down. And and she's uniquely qualified for this because her most recent book is titled, A Better Encouragement, Trading Self-Help for True Hope. She encourages weak and weary people to find better refreshment in the living water of Christ who speaks a better word of encouragement than the frothy, shallow, motivational speeches of the world. So if you want to be better at encouraging from the pulpit or face-to-face, this episode's for you. And then stay tuned to the end because she also gives some solid, practical advice on how to find life-giving, encouraging friends, and then also how to be A life giving and encouraging friend. So I hope to see you in person in Idaho at our next Expositors Collective training event. It's coming up soon, October 13th and 14th. You can find more details at expositorscollective.com. I hope that this podcast encourages you, and for those of you that I'll see very soon in Idaho, I hope to meet you. I want to encourage you as well in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here's Lindsay. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm speaking with Lindsay Carlson, the author of A Better Encouragement, Trading Self-Help for True Hope. Good morning, Lindsay. Welcome to the show.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm excited. I'm very excited. So we're going to talk about, yeah, like your book and the contents of your book. But seeing as how the vast majority of listeners to the show are preachers or Bible teachers of some sorts, I wondered if you could help us get to know you a bit by telling us about the first time that you like taught the Bible in public.
0: All right. Well, so I think that there's a difference between when I taught it and I shouldn't have been teaching it. And when I taught it and it was like a little bit better of an idea, I think I taught way before I should have been teaching. Like when I was young in like middle school, I had a desire to teach the Bible. And I did not have a grasp at all on the bigger narrative of scripture. I did not understand how it all worked together. So I think it's funny that the Lord put desires in my heart to teach God's word way before he put the ability or the understanding of how to teach his word. So when I read that question, I thought it was funny because the Lord reminded me, hey, you've been doing it well before I equipped you to do it. So I think the first time I actually taught it that I that I kind of understood the power of what I was doing and the importance and the level of responsibility that that it came with, I think, was probably when I got to speak to a group of women at a women's retreat for our own church. Probably this was probably 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Okay. And it was just a communion service around a lake on the last morning of a women's retreat to the body that my husband was a worship pastor for. And I remember being so anxious because probably I cared way too much about what. people were going to think about what I was teaching. But I remember going to the Word over and over and saying, okay, Lord, what what do you want these women to hear? And I picked a passage. I mean, I picked, I think that uh, after a lot of prayer, I ended up picking a passage from Mark. And it was uh, in Mark 8, where Jesus feeds the 4,000. And it was just amazing how I had come to this passage kind of wanting to be really crafty and clever because you know I had been asked to preach at this communion service where they were going to be serving the Lord's supper and so I thought okay how can I tie this in and make it really neat and then when I went to the text and started reading it's talking about how Christ um you know fed the fed the 4000 and takes what's already there and thanks the Lord for providing it, and then takes it and brings it to the people. And I just had this complete breaking of my own heart where I realized I'm trying to be so crafty and clever here. And really, the Lord has already provided exactly what I need through His Word and through the body of Christ. And all I have to do is come and present it before these people in a way that they will understand. And how can I possibly do that if I haven't fully grasped that truth within my own heart? And so I think that that was kind of the the match that struck that desire to teach in a way that that just exhorted people to love the word of God and and that built up the body of Christ. I think that's probably the first time. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's a desire, I think a good desire, to not just say the same old boring thing in boring ways. But mm-hmm. did you kind of learn at that lake or in the preparation for that lake that there's nothing wrong with just the plain old thing broken in the hands of Christ and then distributed to his people.
0: Absolutely. And I think I should, I should say like, I think part of that was just that I've grown up loving communication. So I had done a lot of studying and communication and speech and all these different things. So I think it was like the Lord had allowed me to develop communication skills before he allowed me and trained me to understand his word. So I think it was like that final connection of it's the spirit at work within not it's the power of like how great a communicator that you are. And so I think it it is it's powerful to see the lord work rather than like how crafty we make the message and not to say that it shouldn't be beautifully created and compelling and draw people to hear.
1: Yeah, but it's not rhetoric alone.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Well, then that leads right into the next thing. So, like, so Lindsay, how have you grown and changed since then? Or to put it another way, like, what are some things that you used to do that you stopped doing? Or then conversely, are there things that you started doing now that you um, never did that? Yes.
0: Yes. So absolutely. I think that early, early in the days when I really just had a heart to help women understand the Bible and understand who they were in Christ, I think that I began in the early days approaching things topically, even if I was teaching expositionally. So I think that sometimes what I would do is think, oh, well, there's this brokenness inside of us that, you know, really longs for, you know, to be, let's say, to be loved or to be understood. And then I would say, okay, well, where in the Bible does it talk about that? And then I would begin to teach that passage you know, because I I valued expositional preaching. Yeah. And so I wanted to explain the verse in the context of the scripture, but I didn't necessarily understand that I could do that just by teaching God's word and he would naturally allow those truths to go deep into all of the places that the um, spirit intended them to go, not just the one that I had kind of cherry picked to help women. And yeah. so- I think that today it it is definitely not that I don't try to look for where women need to be encouraged because I just wrote a book on encouragement, right? (laughs) So, I mean, like, it, it would be wrong to say that I don't still try to address cultural problems from a scriptural perspective, but I think that I am more equipped to do that when I have a full understanding of the context Um, of how God's word is always speaking and investing and changing us. So I think that it's, I have changed in my method as far as, I think I kind of tend to use teaching scripture to women um, as a platform to expand, expound on God's word, but then I use books sometimes to draw in people who might not already be in the scriptures. So I kind of go at that from two different angles. So when I teach the Bible specifically, I like to teach book by book. So I, I tend to not teach anymore by like picking out thematic elements and going, I'm going to have a Bible study quote unquote on, you know, identity or whatever it might be. I I prefer to teach like okay, we're going to have a Bible study on the book of Galatians or we're sure. going to have a Bible study on, you know, um the Sermon on the Mount or something. So, and I think that 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 has been something that has been challenging for me because it means that I have to understand a larger context of information and have a pretty good grasp on something from the beginning of teaching and that that's a lot a uh, bigger goal to kind of tackle before you jump into something.
1: Yeah. Was there like, what prompted that change? Was there a conversation that you had with somebody? Was it kind of an aha moment or have you just kind of looked back and realized that was a slow, gradual shift?
0: Um, that's a good question. I think that probably experiencing how the spirit has changed and shaped me as I have just come to love scripture. Um, So, I mean, you know, when you are reading devotionally um, in your own personal private quiet times, like popping around here and there, or like, you know, on again, off again, kind of devotional reading, you tend to not see the scope and spectrum of how much um, just systematic Bible reading actually shapes and impacts your daily life. When you switch to, to reading scripture on a regular basis, and you're really just like reading through the Bible, cover to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that was probably, if I could name one point, I think it would probably be when I got very serious about only reading through the Bible over and over and over for my personal times of devotion. And so when that started, when I started to see that in every season of my life, it didn't matter if I was in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or James, like the Lord was was just strengthening and supporting and encouraging and calling and convicting and exhorting, you know, all of these different things, no matter where I was, not just in the book of Psalms. I started to realize like, oh, there's wisdom here everywhere. And it is actually compelling wisdom that is helpful in every season of my life. And I know that I've been a, I have been a follower of Jesus who has not really grasped that truth. Like how much more, could other people begin to grasp that if i just said hey guys look over here so i think that it was when i started to experience the beauty of scripture just coming alive that i started to think like i don't want to hand feed people things that kind of feels like pre chewed meat you know yeah. um, i want to actually just give them the confidence and the and the curiosity to go to scripture as a child of god is intended to go to scripture
1: Yeah. And after learning or experiencing that yourself, it's like, why, why withhold that from anybody? Why, why benefit from this, but then publicly offer something different other than or less than uh, what you're personally being enriched by or encouraged by day by day.
0: I do think, and I do think also some of my, some of the reason that I didn't do that earlier, I think I had an understanding that that was the better way before I had even experienced that for myself. Um, And so as someone who sat under lots of good teaching, you know, like I say under good teaching, I mean, you know, podcasts, conferences, taking in a wealth of information, reading lots of books, I kind of knew philosophically that it was better to teach Just expositionally teaching through the word, I understood that. But as a, you know, at the time, if I was like 25 or something, as a 25 year old desiring to teach God's word to a group of women in my living room, I did not feel the confidence to do that in a way that felt um, helpful or, you know, skilled. And so I think that there was a hesitation a lot of time on my part where I thought, well, I'm not to that level yet. So maybe I should just start like here where we just do this little thing on like, let's talk about what it means to be a mom and study how we can pull in some Bible verses, Mm, you know? And so I think that part of it was like just doing it and committing to show up and do something that I didn't feel equipped and skilled for yet, but that I earnestly desired to do and to do well. And that the Lord met me in those moments and gave me what I needed to, to just walk step by step. And it was in that process of doing what I felt unskilled to do that the Lord met me and provided for me and strengthened me.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Thank you. That is encouraging to hear. And let me just say the word encouraging because I want to pivot to the next thing. So I, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, you're the author of uh, a better encouragement and in in reading through that book, you've kind of highlighted a the need for encouragement, uh, the, the difference between like self encouragement and biblical encouragement, or false and true um, encouragement. I guess what was missing from that book is how to teach and preach the Bible in a way that gives encouragement to people. <laughs> I know that's a the target audience. That. But, um, but yeah, how, how, for those of us that are like Bible teachers, as you're, you're talking about, like, how can we like give solid encouragement, like, like meaty life-giving encouragement beyond just kind of platitudes or, or jargon to people?
0: Absolutely. I think that people, whether or not they can articulate this, people have a very strong ability to sniff out what is untrue. And so I think that when we are giving platitudes from the pulpit, people know whether or not they're actually going to pay off. So if we say, uh, read your Bible, get in scripture, and you're going to have a better day, that's untrue. And I think that we we do a disservice to people sitting under our teaching if we prepare them to think that A plus B equals C, unless the encouragement that we're giving them is completely true promises of God that we've seen over and over again prove true. And so I think that we we need to have a different understanding that encouragement is not just for the purpose of making someone feel warm and fuzzy inside. What we actually need as Christians to uh, walk by faith and to stand firm in the faith is not just to have um, a hug or to have someone tell us we're pretty, or to to give us just whatever it it is that they think that we need for today. What we need is actually to be propelled forward by the promises of God that are true, because they've proven true yeah. throughout time. And so I think that as we shape messages that are meant to encourage the people of God by giving them courage that is meant for them to, to take, so that they will obey and so that they will love God uh, we need to be making sure that our messages are filled with truth that is actually compelling people to believe the Word of God and to stand and obey and do the things that are really actually pretty hard and I think that's you know so much of the help uh, self-help generation, uh, has tricked us into believing that we have what it takes within us if we'll just dig deep and pull it up from, you know, our bootstraps or whatever. And so as as expositors, I think a huge portion of our job is to shine light on things that are untrue and to help people understand that's actually not biblical. So, so I need on a Sunday morning for my pastor to remind me you don't have what it takes. Actually, you do in Christ Jesus, but not on your own, not your own willpower. That is not meant to guide you and lead you. It's actually Christ in you that makes the difference. And so if we are showing up on a Sunday morning and hearing messages that say, do better, try harder, those are actually going to leave us very anemic and not fill us with gospel hope. And so I think that that's a huge opportunity for pastors and teachers to take and hold very securely like the gospel encouragement message into, into what they're preaching and teaching.
1: Yeah, which doesn't instantly feel good, but I think eternally rings true. And that's that's far more important. I was having a, a conversation, I think it was one of our like community groups here in the church that I serve at. And we were discussing a related issue, and somebody um, was saying that it's really, really good news that, like, when the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter eight, like, as she was like, you know, thrown at the feet of Jesus, uh, and he dismissed all of the accusers, and then he leaned down and he wasn't like, "Girl, you do you," you know, or "Girl, <laughs> exactly. you got this." Yes, it was. It was. I don't condemn you. Like, there's a, this word of forgiveness. And then also like this charge to like lead a changed life, go and sin no more. But he, he doesn't affirm her in the short term, but he does like change her, I guess from the inside out, we could say with that word of forgiveness. And then also from the outside onwards with that word of like sanctification or, or the Christian life afterwards.
0: Yeah, and one of the, I think one of the most pivotal kind of shifts in my own teaching, um, I remember, I think it was Nancy Guthrie at conference that I attended, was talking about how if we're going to use the sword of the spirit, we have to allow it to cut both ways. And um, it can't just be for like, feel good, you know, like, you know, yay, warm, fuzzy. Mm-hmm. And and I remember thinking how I have always had this kind of feeling that if someone is convicting or condemning a behavior, that's bad, you know, and and that is not, that couldn't be possibly be encouraging, right? But really, if someone is believing that all of their worth and identity is based on what they do and how good they can be, then we need someone to use the sword of the spirit to cut that away and to help us to understand what is true and what is good, right? And so I need scripture to be able to cut in both ways to encourage me to believe what is good and true, even if it's painful. No discipline is pain, is pleasant, you know. For but it produces good, right? So we are allowing encouragement sometimes to not feel good in the in the immediate because that encouragement is exhorting, like propelling moving mm. forward toward what is good and better, even if it hurts momentarily. And so I think that that we lose that element when we think that encouragement is only like, Wow, look how far you've come in, in your development of, in holiness or like, Oh, wow, look how much God has sanctified you. Sometimes the encouragement is to go and sin no more. You know, mm. sometimes the encouragement is actually something that's like, you know, I, I, this sounds kind of crazy, but I think that sometimes it is encouraging to me when someone reminds me that I'm a broken, fallen sinner. Like it, not because it encourages me to continue sinning, but it encourages me to remember that Christ is going to bear with me even as I am broken until he fully redeems me. So it can be even just the exposition of truth that draws to light what is actually true. It's it's the providing of grace in your time of need to see with eyes filled with truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, thank you. Thank you. So that's that's great. And and so that is what you're proposing but all, this is, there's alternatives to true hope, and I think you referenced just a, a moment ago, like the the self help industry. What what are the the other the other options out there? What and again, you've you referenced some of these a few moments ago, but like just like spell it out. <laughs> what what are we up against?
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, what are not the options? I mean, like there's options everywhere, right? I mean, there. There are so many ways that like women, I, I can only speak obviously for women, but I mean, I think I wake up in the morning and I think I should be driven by my schedule. Like if, if my schedule were crafted better, I would accomplish more. Or if I would buy the right resources, I would be better at discipling my children. Or if I would, you know, read enough on the internet, then I could make my diet better. And we would have more vitamins and nutrition to make us think more clearly and function. You know, like there's all these different versions of like, there are better versions of you out there. If only you would put yourself to the task of like, finding them, purchasing them, you know, investing your time in them. Um, And so it's, it's all this self-help that says, whatever you don't have, you can go and get for yourself and you can make your life better, which really is like running away from suffering, running away from shame. Like it's, it's all self-management and self-control. I mean, not self-control in the biblical sense, but like, let us control the things that, make us feel uncomfortable or sad or discouraged, all of those things, instead of saying, okay, where has weakness called you to say, I need Jesus? Where has weakness called you to say, I need to actually lay down my burdens at the foot of the cross and ask the Lord to give me what I do not have inside of myself. So I think that, I think that any self-help is going to be anything that we say, I don't need God to help me. Actually, I can go and get this on my own. And, or even from other people, like, I think that there was a long season of my life where if I was struggling with something, I would pick up the phone because I thought a friend could help me more than just picking up my Bible. And so I think that it's self-help is just anything that, that says, I don't need God. I can do this on my own or with the help of someone else that is not God.
1: Yeah, you said this actually, and I actually tweeted this last night. (laughs) Quote from you. Oh, thanks. God, and I didn't tag you because I couldn't find you on on Twitter. So (laughs) I'm going to read it out here. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think this is the end of chapter five. God allowed me to face the discomfort of my need because he knew it would lead me to his better strength and encourage me to come quickly to him the next time a storm came. Like, I I just love the way it was phrased. God allowed me to face the discomfort of my need. And yeah, this other as you call it, the self-help industry that allows you to kind of, I don't know, s- skim along the surface of our discomfort. But, but God, the great physician, sometimes draws us deeper into it so that there can be even a more dramatic or life-altering uh, rescue from it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, God would not be a kind God to let our solutions work out if they kept us from him and from knowing him. So it's actually his kindness.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, but like, I don't like, I don't like what you just said, nope. but I, but it's, I know I it's true. Agree. <laughs> I involuntarily was nodding my head, but I'm like, that's Ugh. rough. That's rough. What yeah. a, what a world. Yeah. <laughs> and what a good God in the midst of this, this yeah. challenging, yeah. this challenging world. So you, you define elsewhere in the book, you talk about like better encouragement provides God's promises to God's people in order to help us endure with our hope set on, on Christ. Now, Uh, not to put you on the spot, but like in an hour and a half, I'm having dinner with somebody in my congregation and his wife passed away, um, a week and a half ago. What's, what's a way to offer like this type of encouragement based on God's promises to this grieving 30, 33 year old husband.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that is heavy. I think that There's so much of our encouragement is based on what we think that they need to hear, which is we want to believe that if we just repeat phrases that we've heard other people say when that kind of thing happens, that that must be what they want. But if you sit and talk to any person who's grieved, I actually just had some time with a friend whose husband passed away. When her children were very little. So she was a widow of, um, and had three, I think, small children. And one of the things that she said was that. It was so lonely because the the things that people most often said to her were, "Man, you're just so strong. Like you're so strong that you're going through this, or like you're just handling this so amazing," you know. And she said she felt so alone because she felt like you don't you don't know how I'm handling this in the private of mm-hmm. you know my own house, and and so I think sometimes when people are grieving in deep ways like that, the best comfort that you can give them is. Um, is comfort that comes straight from scripture that is not trying to like assume that we know what people are going through, but to offer the words of Christ when he was in a similar situation, right? Christ didn't lose a wit, you know, you lose a bride. We can't, we can't go to that. But he did suffer on a cross and feel abandoned by the Father. And so if I say, like, God is with you. When in your deepest moments where you feel abandoned and alone, we know that God is with you, and so I am going to be praying that God would be with you when you feel all alone. I'm going to be praying that for you. I think sometimes I I like to take the the other thing, the caveat that I should give is that I think sometimes we have to ask the Lord and ask the other person what we need to be saying in those moments because i think that it would be foolish to think that we always go into those conversations like prepared with the words sure. that we should say and so i think sometimes it's it's better to have the the question how can i speak a word of encouragement that comes from scripture that reminds this person of a character quality of who god is and how can i how can i use scripture to affirm what they might need in christ that I can't give them but God can. So, so I think as you're sitting with someone who's gone through great loss, you know that person well enough probably, well enough to know like, you know, are they are they afraid? Are they anxious? Are they angry? Are they, you know, like what are the needs inside of them that you know and how can you point to a way that God has promised himself to be faithful? and use those words instead of like cliche promises that are like, you know, I know the days ahead are dark, but you know, I'm sure that suffering will part, you know, like you don't want to offer these cliches that are like, you know, I'm sure that tomorrow you'll wake up and feel better. No, they might not actually. Yeah. Or it might be a real long season of darkness, but you can say things like, the Lord is with you. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So I'm going to pray that when you wake up and feel brokenhearted, that each morning the Lord comforts you with comforts that are new. New mercies every morning. I'm praying that. And, and I think that you know we also sometimes say that we're praying for people. I'm a person that like, I'm not gonna say that I'm praying for you unless I'm actually praying for you. Yeah. But But I'm not having like private prayer times like designated for one hour or something but I do have encouragements on my mind that I pray for specific people every time they come to mind. And so I think as a member of the body of Christ, that is how we bear with people, is by knowing how to encourage them so that then we can continue to build them up long after that that moment. But we can continue to walk with them in that trial by encouraging them in the spirit like and seeking God on their behalf like long after those conversations.
1: Yeah, well thank you for that. You really, yeah, demonstrated this is not just a, a sales pitch for you to 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 sell books. <laughs> you know, certainly not. Mm-hmm. I know that you are, yeah, deeply concerned about people's Actual, real, true encouragement. And, and that that came through. Um, you spoke earlier about like pulpit platitudes. And like that doesn't work with, again, with a, a widow. Um, that doesn't work in these situations. And it, it barely works in the pulpit. It certainly won't work when you're seated face to face with these just like vague generalities or toxic positivity about everything is always going to get better. Everything always does. It'll work out, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So thank you for that. I mean, I, it's no secret. Like this podcast, is mostly for me. I just find interesting people to talk to that will help me in in my ministry and other people can can listen in. So thank you for Those that. Those are the best
0: kind of podcasts, I that think. That
1: coaching. I'm just the <laughs> greediest person. I just schedule people <laughs> no. that I need to learn from.
0: <laughs> you know the questions that everyone is asking, right? Privately, you just say them on a microphone.
1: I know the questions Mike Neglia cares about and yeah, uh, hopefully yeah. it helps others. <laughs> Well, here's, here's a final, well, here's a second to last one in, in chapter one, you spoke about like a time when you were like in a cafe with somebody, they, they like, they asked you one of those kind of vulnerable questions, you know, like, how are you doing? And then they get earnest and they say, no, how are you really doing? And, um, you, you spoke about how you kind of like, you kind of had the choice between like self-censoring and like not divulging the truth or, or opening up. Most of the people listening to this, like I said, are, are, are preachers, are, are pastors, are leaders. Can you give advice to those of us that maybe like want to be open and honest about our discouragement to people, but then also realize there's a bit of wisdom that we need where we can't just kind of bleed over every single person that we ever encounter?
0: Yes, I think it's very ironic that you're asking me this because I've only learned by doing it the wrong way for like, <laughs> you know, 40 years or something. I think, you know, that desire to be like, compulsively vulnerable, I think that 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 would describe me. I think that the Lord has uh, been reigning that in over the years because I think that there are, you know, in scripture, it talks about the mysteries belong to God. I think that there are mysteries in my own heart that sometimes I don't understand. And so sometimes when I compulsively, compulsively like provide information to someone that maybe doesn't have the full relational context to to bear that burden mm. what ends up happening is i invite feedback where i don't need to be inviting feedback yet and so i think that there's there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors but like how do we know when someone is a trustworthy counselor like time and and seeing how they've handled our heart over the years i think those all take a lot of just watching and learning. And so I think that sometimes, you know, like it's not necessarily helpful to, to confess discouragement. And I will say, I've, I think we know because we sometimes do it the wrong way. Like we make mistakes. Um, that's probably how, if I speak personally, that's probably how I've learned the best is by saying things that were too personal um, not like in an oversharing way, but in a way that's like, wow, I was really honest with that person and they did not hear my heart. And instead they said some really hurtful things back or yeah. they didn't guard it close to their heart. And then they shared it with people that, you know, I really wasn't trying to be honest and vulnerable with. So I think I think sometimes the best way that we learn is by just going, whoops, too too much, too far too fast, you know. <laughs> but I I watched, I've my husband is a pastor. And so I have seen before, you know, with uh when he has shared discouragement um as a pastor with even church members that he thought were like close, you know, trustworthy sources that just didn't understand what he was saying. And those things can sometimes turn around and be really painful when when somebody like a church member doesn't necessarily understand that. Yeah. So I think that as a teacher, like speaking to teachers of the word, I think that what he and I have both kind of come to understand is the importance of having fellow teachers that you share different burdens with different kinds of people. I would never say that I'm not vulnerable with uh, women in my church or that I don't share when I'm discouraged about certain things, but I've learned which burdens to take to which people. Yeah. And there is such uh, a sweet spirit of fellowship among sisters that also teach the word and or that are also in ministry. And I'm so, so grateful that the Lord has given my husband and I both friends that are are in a ministry capacity, but not necessarily inside of our own local church or even in the city that we live in. So, I mean, having friends that are in those elements, I think sometimes is a lot, I hate to use the word safe, um, safer, but I think it ends up just being wiser to reach out to people that that can relate to us and share our discouragement and bear those burdens without understanding who we're talking about, you know, when we're having problems within things.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm having a really hard time with an elder, and XYZ you can't say, you,
0: church member, right? Yeah, not yeah, appropriate. You, some yeah. people
1: will be very easy to be like, Well, there's only two elders, <laughs> you know, or, right?
0: Hello, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Or
1: to have that, yeah, and I think, yeah, to have different, even I don't want to say different concentric circles, but maybe just different overlapping circles of, Spheres. of yeah, 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 of friends and, yeah. The local friendships are important and irreplaceable, but then also to have Absolutely. those, I can't, I'm, I'm not thinking of the word right, but like where there is this um, a camaraderie or a, I don't know, just, just parallel life and ministry tracks, and they might mm-hmm. not be in the same place, but they they have the same responsibilities and obligations and, and, and burdens that we're able to. Now, okay, one, this is not, I don't the questions I sent you, so this is a surprise one. The other one was surprised too. So, okay. I I have that. I have, I have local friends and then I have some very deep peers that have been friends with me for, for years and years. And we're in great contact. My wife has told me that every one of her female friends have all confided in her that they wish that their husband had more male friends. (laughs) And, and she's, and she says to me, I am so thankful that like, you know, Mike, for all your flaws, at least you have <laughs> meaningful male friendships. Any, any thoughts on like how to make friends, how to make new friends? Someone's might maybe listening to this and they're thinking like, yeah, that sounds great. But how do I, how do I, how do I get that?
0: Yeah. So I, I definitely am not going to teach dudes how to make friends because sure. yeah. who knows how that I'll happens. have
1: a different guest for that. But so. I think,
0: Right, right. So maybe it sounds like you should teach an episode. You should host a podcast where someone else interviews you and you show dudes how to make friends. But I think in general, like, no, in general, I think that like just coming to the table as someone who is not, I don't have it all together and I'm not assuming that anyone else does either, is very disarming. So I think that a lot of the time women specifically feel like they don't fit in or that That they are broken in some way that is keeping them from having friends. And it's like, hey guys, if we all think that at the same time, none of us are going to make friends with each other. So, I mean, I would say just like your wife can identify, like, you know, a a very true statement about dudes and not having friends. I can identify a lot of the women that I sit with go, I just don't fit in. And, I'm frequently like, tell me why you don't, why do, why do you not have friends or why do you not fit in? And it's often because they say like, oh, well, I'm a new mom or, oh, I have a lot of kids or, oh, I homeschool or, oh, we go to a church, but we live really far away from it. Or, you know, there's all these different little things, but we are all very good at identifying the ways that we are different or separate than other people. And then using that as a caveat to like, why I can't pursue deep relationships. So I think like, maybe if we just thought like, how can I just not think so much about what makes me different, but just pour myself in and say, I'm going to be a a good friend to someone else. And I'm going to, how can I be a friend the way that I would want someone else to be a friend to me? Well, I want people to call me and invite me to do stuff. Hmm. So if I want to be a good friend, I'm going to call somebody, even if I feel uncomfortable, even if I feel a little bit insecure and say like, hey, do you want to go on a walk? Or, hey, do you want to go, you know, meet up for coffee? I'm going to just reach out and do those things. And so far as it depends on me, be at peace with all men. And I think that's just a vulnerable place. And it's in our own vulnerability that we are given opportunities to speak words of encouragement or life into other people. And that is the stuff that friendships are made of, you know, Mm -hmm. is being able to bear burdens and to encourage um, one another.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. And in the show notes, there'll be your email address, and and people can can contact you and become your friend. <laughs> Woohoo! Just kidding, Lots of just coffee. kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, final final actual question, and, and good idea about the the separate thing. We'll arrange something maybe about how how gentlemen can make friends. Not particularly different than what you just said for for the ladies. I don't think that's entirely gender. But I'm sure
0: you have your own gender you know,
1: specific your own version. Well, I mean. Go to conference. I think going to conferences is is something that where that you're immediately you're with a whole bunch of peers outside of your context. And that's just like a great way. And I've I've seen conference numbers decline across mm-hmm. you know all denominations. And of course, there's great stuff and podcasts and great online content. But like I think that attending conferences is a, is a good thing. That's just my little I will, one. Can I'll I, expand can I on throw? That. Yeah.
0: Can I throw in a pitch too? So my husband is a really great networker is like a, not the greatest word, but like he loves people well, Mm -hmm. he loves to, and he loves to be, um, he loves the brotherhood of the saints. Right. And so when we lived in Baltimore and now that we live in the Dallas Fort Worth area, he has always been really good about like finding his local network of people. Like who are the dudes in ministry that are in my area? you know, that I'm like-minded with. And so I think that's another way that like even our family having just moved, like I look forward to having time, you know, when it's not summer and whatever my kids are actually in school to like reach out to other women in ministry that that we do similar things because it's easier to get together with people who like minister down the street right. for me than it is to fly to another state to meet up with people. So like, I think even that is always an opportunity like in your area who are the people that are that you're close to that you could develop relationships with and strengthen churches across the city even that you work with is always an opportunity
1: Yeah good good pitch for that as well too the international conferences and the ministers down the yeah. street Yeah Well so the actual final question now is is Lindsay how are you trying to to grow and to improve I doubt that you feel that you've like arrived as a Bible teacher or even as an author, you probably want to get better. What are the ways you're trying to get better now?
0: I would say number one is staying in the word all the time. I'm every year I kind of pick a different way that I'm going to read through scripture. You know, like I'll kind of bop between like if I'm reading it chronologically or if I'm reading it like a new Bible, you know, daily Bible reading plan, but I'm always looking for new ways that I need to grow in my understanding of it as a, um, as a body of script, I want to understand how all the scripture works together. So I'm always looking for like, where are the holes in my understanding and how can I pick a plan that's going to help strengthen the area that I am the weakest in. And so I would say that's number one always. But I think the other one is just making sure I'm kind of always having opportunities to practice because I think that I can, I can listen to lots of podcasts and train on like philosophical ways to get better, but the best training for me is actually teaching. So if I if I have a group of women in my life that I think, ooh, these women would love to like sit around in my living room and read through this book together. And by book I mean like book of the Bible, mm-hmm. then Just taking the leap and inviting people to start, like not thinking that it has to be some big ginormous production where there's, you know, hundreds of women gathering. Like, I am just as eager to teach, or probably honestly more so eager to teach a woman of 10, a group of 10 women that will come to my living room and we can sit around and talk about truth. Than I am to show up in a in a room of a thousand and teach the Bible because those are people that I can be deeply invested in. So looking for opportunities, I think, and then actually just doing it is is the way I'm growing.
1: Okay, yeah. So deeper into the Word, and then more repetitions, more practices. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another question. You, you mentioned that you've studied communication. I'm wondering, is there anything from like a presentation side that you're trying to grow
0: in? Yes. So I love to see how the text works together. Like I love all of the little, like, oh, that in the new Testament was actually, you know, from an old from a prophet, you know, and I want to pull from here and here and here and here and here and like show all these different verses because I'm just so mind blown of how God has been weaving story throughout history. That can be too much in a Mm -hmm. communication standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I have a real hard time following a teacher who is like, it feels like they're trying to like prove that they did the book report, you know? And so they're like, and then it says here, and then it says there, and then it says this and this and this. And you're like, whoa, where, What? what is this sermon on? I'm very confused. So there is a beauty to camping in one text. And like, that doesn't mean that I can't say this scripture over here actually really emphasizes it or connects it, but being really choosy about where I camp so that it's not overwhelming and people feel like they're drinking from a fire hydrant. Because I want people to remember the passage and to understand the passage in years to come, not because Lindsay was so creative about how she taught it, but because they walked away going like, oh, wow, that's when I learned to understand Psalm 42 better than I've ever understood. And so I think that when we sprinkle in like shake, 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 and sprinkle in 62 verses into an hour teaching Mm -hmm. versus like, here's the one verse that we're going to expand, then people walk away like understanding it and it and it permeates the the roots right so i think and and practically speaking i think one of the best ways to do that that i learned back in college i i was a radio dj for a long time is that right uh, Yeah. And not a long time. And when I was in college, I was a radio DJ and my professor, one of my professors said he would make us record all of our sessions and then listen to them. And it was the most painful thing that I ever had to do was to sit and listen to like three hours of myself talking. And that's like, you know, not even teaching. So that's just ad-libbing. And it was awful because you would realize all the little things that you do and all the little crutches that you have to rely on. And so I think that, one of the best things for me as a Bible teacher has been abiding by that same principle. Like I need to hear what my audience is hearing. So if at the end of my teaching, I can't listen back and go, oh, wow, I felt really encouraged by that word because it was scripture preaching. Like there's a problem. Like I shouldn't get off and go, wow, I was really funny. Like I might get off and say, you know, oh, that was a good conversation or whatever. But I want to be listening for the ways that I can clarify the message of scripture and rein myself in so that it's just adding personality. It's not uh, detracting from the message that should be at the front and center, which is the gospel.
1: Wow. Yeah. I used to think like the sign of a good, deep Bible study would be how many times people are flipping in their Bibles from one section to exactly. the other. And the mm-hmm. person's up there leading, like now turn to second Kings chapter seven, and then just wait. Now we're back in Luke. You. Yes. And that's not bad, but I think I, I've come to the same agreement that maybe it's better to just stay in one section and then pull in those other things sparingly, maybe throw them up yes. on a slide. If, if, yes. if at all, but like to spend yes. time in your section and then people aren't, you know, walking away being like, boy, that was a lot of stuff. But like, that was a thing. I understand that thing now.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Again, it's, it's a nice sound. I love the sound of all those like pages in the Bible turning, you know? Yes. Um, but-,
0: but like, let's have a Bible drill practice later, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be in the same teaching yes. preaching time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, cool, Lindsay. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel encouraged. I hope that um, those that have been listening are encouraged. And then even as we were talking before we hit record, the real hope from this is that Bible teachers and preachers, you know, pastors and kids ministry workers and everything like that, we could pass on this like actual true, real, better encouragement by providing God's promises to God's people in order to help them endure with their hopes set on Christ. That's, that's the hope. So I, the, the goal Absolutely. in this is that like people that never hear this podcast or never read your book, although they should read your book. It's really good. um, (laughs) That, that they would be strangely more encouraged next week than they are this week. Like, okay. Yeah. I feel more encouraged from that. So that's, that's the hope.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, and for the listeners, I hope that uh, this episode and all that we do at Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thanks Lindsay. Thank you. All right. Well, good, solid stuff, isn't it? Uh, You can find a link in the show notes where you could purchase Lindsay's book entitled A Better Encouragement, Trading Self-Help for True Hope. It's published by Crossway and you can find that and more resources in the links in the show notes. Now I'm going to leave you with my friend, my actual real friend, Noah Beamer, who I see at conferences and who I honestly experience real, true, deep encouragement from on the regular, he's gonna invite you to the Expositors Collective Training Event. You know, I can't promise that you're gonna make a lifelong friend there, but you might. So for all those reasons and more, check out Noah's invitation. And like I said at the beginning, I hope that I see you in idaho later on in the month of october
2: hello everyone this is noah beamer one of the pastors here at calvary boise Uh, i want to invite you to come out to the next expositors collective training event that we are going to be hosting on october 14th and 15th i got to attend one of these last fall in colorado springs and i thought man i'd really like to see this happen in idaho and now here we are and i get to invite you to it Um, The training event goes from Friday to Saturday. It's an interactive learning experience with teachings from the front, panel discussions, and lots to take part in with group work and coaching with great concrete tips to help you grow in your understanding and personal study and sharing of God's word. So Boise, Idaho is absolutely gorgeous in the fall with lots to do and plenty to explore outdoors. So I really hope you can come join us this October for the next Expositors Collective.